Hi, my name's Chris Webb, and my favorite Power Query feature is the Advanced Editor. And this is Power Query Magic. So, Chris, thanks for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. It's nice to be here. Indeed, nice to see you. Um, right, let me set a scene for you, okay? Mm -hmm. You're at a friend's wedding, okay? Mm -hmm. the, you're at the sort of uh, at the do, maybe the evening do. You're <laughs> yep. sitting next to someone's aging uncle, mm -hmm. and he leans over to you and says, "So, what do you do for a living?" So, uh, what's what's your response there? So, I, I guess there are a couple of different ways of answering this. I could say um, I work for Microsoft, and I think everybody that in the real world, at least we'll, we'll get that. Um, that might provoke some you know, positive responses. It's probably more likely with somebody's aging uncle to say, oh, my computer doesn't work. What are you going to do about it? Um, or, or something like that. Or, you know, there, there's always the more generic option that, we, that um, people like us always use, which is, you know, I work in IT, which is, which is kind of vague enough to put off the people who aren't interested in anybody that works in IT. Um, but then also an opening for somebody else who, who also works in IT to say, oh, I work in IT. What do you do? And then you can then you can maybe start to have a have a more uh, a more substantial conversation about what it is. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you so, so probably... it's, it's... sorry, go on. Uh, so to just say that you're um, sorry to interrupt. Say the, the cousin overhears, right? The cousin mm -hmm. is in IT. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you what do you say to them that you do then? Well, I mean, I think nowadays I probably would say I work with something called Power BI um, because after years and years of just kind of incomprehension about about whatever it is that I do, um, I think it, it's Power BI is getting so popular now. There is a pretty good chance that somebody that works in IT, at least in the kind of Microsoft part of IT, um, or the Microsoft ecosystem will have heard of Power BI or, or probably even used it or, uh, you know, if they even if they haven't built a report, they will have, um, you know, seen a report, um, you know, fairly recently. Um, somebody I know not through work turned out to actually have started using Power BI for things, um, which is which is quite nice. I mean, um, you know, yeah. I, I suppose all of us, we, we kind of know what we work with and we know the other people who work with that. But in the real world, it's just like you know, completely impenetrable. But um, it it's uh, it, it's going mainstream. You know, it, it, yeah, I, yeah. I guess for, for you, if you said, oh, I work with Excel and everybody knows what Excel is, you don't have this problem. Whereas yeah. um, Power BI has uh, always been a little bit obscure, really, hasn't it? Yeah, it's definitely growing in awareness. You know, you just see that active user group. Uh, usage sort of stat chart mm. that gets displayed at the sort of embass and stuff like this is just insane. Mm. Um, yes. But yeah, Absolutely. again, when you sort of Excel is a bit of a, is quite a broad sort of subject. So you get, you know, a fair sense of people going, oh yeah. And then they sort of change the topic quite quickly. It's <laughs> <laughs> generally what happens. Yes. Um, well, you know, the things we love tend to be the things that, that cause people pain in everyday life. But <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, so you just spent a bit of time traveling around pre-COVID to, to various conventions and events mm -hmm. and stuff. So do you do you miss that sort of thing or is it nice to have a break or? 
it was nice to have a break, I have to say. Um, I've just submitted for my first in-person conference again in September in Copenhagen, um, oh, okay. which if I'm allowed to go to, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to. Um, I mean, I haven't left the British Isles for over a year now. Um, I did manage to get to Jersey yeah. on holiday last summer, uh, and that was that was quite adventurous, I think, given in the, the circumstances. Um, uh, but you, you know, before that, I was traveling all over the place all the time. And just to not have to do that is it, it's quite it, it's quite nice to have that as a break, have a break. Yeah, bit of a change. Did you have any sort of favorite conferences? Was there a, um, was there a well, I mean, I have to say that going to Denmark is always nice. Um, there's always, uh, they always look after you nicely there. there. There's always some very nice restaurants and things. And, you know, I love Copenhagen as a place. Um, in terms of kind of favorite conferences, um, I mean, I really love SQL Bits, um, which is a, a big in-person and now online conference in the, the UK. Um, I was one of the people that helped found that years ago. I mean, I, I haven't been oh, involved okay. in running it for a while. But I was there at the very beginning and it was great to see that grow from, you know, 100 people in a conference room at, at Microsoft UK to, you know, the last in-person one was, you know, thousands and thousands of people filling wow. you know, really, really large, you know, a really large convention centre and all, you know, all kind of run by the community as well. And it, it's great to see that grow and it's always nice to go there, I suppose, because it's also my home conference. It's it's the UK and um all those people you know from the, the kind of UK scene. Is it wrong to call it? Yeah, the scene yeah. makes it sound like it's like it's a kind of like rock and roll movement or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just nice to see all your friends again, all in one place, and and have a chat and have a drink and all those things. Yeah, absolutely. And and where are you living now? Um, I live just northwest of London, in a okay. small town called Amersham, which is um, not in London but it's on the tube. So it's about as far out of London as you can get and still be on the tube. It's commuter land, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how long have you been there? Um, ooh, I've been there 15 years now, I think. Yeah, 15 years. Oh, okay. Did you, did you grow up nearby? Uh, no, I grew up, well, it depends on what you mean by nearby. Uh, not in UK terms. I mean, in US terms, yes, I grew up down the road. But <laughs> yeah, um, in, yeah. in UK terms, I, I grew up in a kind of small village near Banbury in Oxfordshire, which is, it's about an hour away from where I live now. Oh, so okay. I haven't really gone that far. Um, I've moved around a bit in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my sort of uh, first experience, of, I moved to Australia about 15 years ago from Wales. Mm -hmm. And my... Um, <clears throat> My experience met up with a cousin and they'd gone to a party and the party was a four and a half hour drive and they'd come back that night wow which was just insane that was just like, that was a whole two-day trip in uk terms that was Absolutely. it's just the scale of it it's just yeah very have you been to australia uh i have once or twice yes um for ah, okay. holidays and for work um not recently though i mean probably the last time i went uh i did uh, I did some analysis services training there, um, probably about getting on for eight or nine years ago. Uh, did a uh, week okay. in Sydney and a week in Melbourne. Right. But, How about uh, Wales? Been to Wales at all? Yeah, my sister lives in Wales. Uh, she lives <laughs> in Swansea. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's, that's what I'm I haven't been to Wales for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Not allowed anywhere anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, um, right. I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, mm -hmm. always an interesting study. 
Um, oh, yeah, you saw all did, kinds of things. Yeah, it's good. You, you did um, history at St. Catherine's College in Oxford. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, and then you, was there any specific period of history that you were uh, specializing in, or is it, is it not that sort of thing? Uh, it's not that it's basically you, you can choose kind of whatever you want so um no. uh, that was probably the good thing about the course you can like literally just leap around to whatever you want it was modern history um uh, but modern ah, history okay. is um everything oh i'm going to embarrass myself now because i can't remember the cutoff date it was 496 i think um oh, right. it was some somewhere around then that was the cutoff date for modern history as opposed to ancient history but yeah you could study the anglo-saxons you know the um uh, the US after the Civil War, you know, um, medieval periods, the high medieval period, all, all those things. It was it was really interesting. Um, it's always interesting to kind of think, is it relevant and useful for anything? Um, because I suppose, I don't know, it, it was definitely one of those things where as a degree, you come out and you think, what am I going to do afterwards? And I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do afterwards. Um, I wasn't yeah. somebody who always wanted to be in IT. Um, but then again, I think there were a lot of people around um, in, um, at least in Power BI, certainly. And certainly, in, I think, again, the Microsoft ecosystem, people who didn't do, didn't follow that kind of, well, what 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 you might think of as the traditional route into IT. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we've kind of fallen into it from a variety of different places. But um, yeah, I mean, is it is it relevant? Is it useful? Well, no, I mean, I don't think, history itself is, is super interesting and it's character building and everything um but is the study of history relevant for it well on the surface no um but actually you know if i think about how i've become successful in what i do in my own little niche um it's useful in that it helps you to think and write and try and write and explain things clearly you know that that's the, the kind of practical skill yeah. you learn from it um, just to be able to write and explain and, and that helps you teach and you know it, it's useful for presenting as well and uh, and all kinds of things so yeah obviously you have to learn the technical skills afterwards but um, <laughs> yeah it, it, I, th I think it was useful and you know when I compare myself to other people who've come from different routes who've got different strengths and weaknesses I can definitely see what I, I got from that degree yeah and you know the whole sort of practical degree thing. I did accounting and finance and I became an accountant. But to be honest, day one of, you know, professional accounting, I was in the same room as somebody done a degree in sports science. And we knew as much as each other. We both knew nothing, <laughs> you know, when it gets into the real world. And you yeah. know, so yeah, it's I think it's the experience rather than the actual subject matter and the, the process you go through. And so how, how does your story lead into computers then? Um, well, I mean, I, I was I was into computers when I was young. Um, you know, my dad was, I, he, he was certainly one of those people that, that liked gadgets. Um, right. And uh, I remember he bought, you know, it must have been when I was about six or seven, um, he bought the, the BBC Micro when it came out. Um, oh, the big floppy, did they have a big floppy disc ones? Uh, one that, well, I didn't have a floppy disc. I mean, floppy oh. disks were a luxury. It was... Um, it was the massive, the massive big... Yes, it was, a, it was a big, it was a big chunky box, um, yeah, yeah. lovely beige, and it had a, a nice kind of, um, a nice yes. feel to it as well. Um, so, you know, he was very, in, you know, he, he liked typing in programs and things from magazines. Um, and then I, I, I kind of liked that as well and started 
writing basic and then i got a when that died i got an atari st and you know did a bit of programming on that Atari ST. oh yeah, yeah well, i'm glad i'm glad i so many people seem to have, have amigas and you know yes yes so my friends they, were that, that was people. Uh, yeah, I think Atari STs were vastly superior machines. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and I did a bit of programming on that. But actually, you know, I kind of um, kind of stopped when I got to be a teenager. Um, you know, I I did I, I did did computer studies for, for GCSE, um, and that was probably oh. the last time I, I I touched a computer for a while. Uh, I just went on to go and you know, go and go and do other things for a bit. But then, you know, you kind of leave university. Um, I got a, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, the traditional things I, I could have done would have been to be either an accountant um, or a lawyer. And you know, I could have done that, but nothing that it didn't really leap out at me. Um, I didn't feel like it's particularly passionate. Um, I spent almost a year in a very strange job um, working for a uh, an orchestral conductor, a very successful musician who wow. had kind of inherited a lot of money and then decided he wanted to reform the UK National Lottery. He'd been kind of instrumental in having it established and then wanted to reform it. And this was me thinking, oh, I'll get into I'll get into politics. Uh, and that turned out to be completely depressing um, and, <laughs> you know, absolutely not what I wanted to do. And I just thought after a year of that, well, you know, I need to get a proper job. You know, I, I want to get a career. I want to um, get something that, that that actually engages me and is interesting. And so I started applying for lots and lots of jobs and thought, oh, you know, what can I do? Well, I mean, I what can I do that's actually practical that somebody will pay me for? Um, yeah, yeah. And I then thought, well, I will. I'll just try to get into IT. So um, got onto an IT graduate training scheme, which was at a really good company. They they really looked after me. Um, then I did a, a kind of second IT degree in the evening at Birkbeck College in London, um, which was also pretty useful. Um, and then, you know, the, the, one of the first things I did in my kind of IT career was got put on a project. Um, it was for a market research company and um, they were they, they were very into OLAP tools and they were checking out the latest OLAP tools in 1998 or so. And, then they decided to test this brand new one on the market from Microsoft called OLAP Services, which then became Analysis Services, which then became the engine inside Power Pivot, which then became the, the engine inside Power BI. So I've been working with that engine since yeah, 1998, a very right. long time now. Uh, and yeah, yeah. and that, that was the beginning of it all. Okay. And then, then cause then there was like Technotrain and CrossJoin. So yeah, it was, so what, was that was that were you an employee there were those your companies or that was, was those are my companies you? yeah so okay. i um so i i kind of worked for this market research company i then um moved to switzerland with my wife because she got a job there uh in the farmer industry um and i then thought well, hey, hey young hey let's go and live in switzerland um when she accepted the job, I just looked on the, it was the beginning of the internet and there were job boards and I kind of looked there and I thought, ah, oh, I'll probably find a job. It'll be fine. Um, spend a while looking for a job in Switzerland. Um, and then eventually some guy at work, um, an Indian guy who sat opposite me said, oh, Chris, you know, a friend of mine from um, college, he works for Microsoft in Germany. And he says they, they really, really need somebody with analysis services skills there. 
Um, so I just sent my CV over to Microsoft Switzerland thinking, hey, you know, um, it can't hurt. Uh, and um, luckily it arrived just the point where analysis services and BI was taking off and they needed somebody. Um, so I went to work for Microsoft Consulting Services in Switzerland for a couple of years. Uh, then I came back, had another Permi job. Um, and at the end of that Permi job back in the UK, um, it got to the point where the entire IT department for the company had been kind of outsourced apart from me and a couple of other people. So we were left in these architect roles and I, I could tell that it wasn't really going to be very interesting or engaging. Um, and I thought, well, OK, time to cash in, make some money and, and set up my own company, be a contractor. You know, in the UK, up until fairly recently, you know, being a contractor is the obvious thing if you, you reach a certain level in in IT, because that's where you, you can set up your own company, do contracts, make more money, pay less tax. It, it's pretty obvious. Um, but I thought, well, rather than doing long term contracts, I got my blog by then. I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll just stick something up on my blog and see if I can do, you know, kind of real kind of consultancy, do do some short term um, troubleshooting for performance tuning and things ah, okay. uh, yeah. rather than taking kind of six months contracts at, at the same places and so on. Um, so I, I put something on my blog, um, got, you know, worked 50% in my first month and still managed to make more than I had been in my Fermi job. Um, and then the next month I was completely booked up. Um, and then it carried on like that for, for kind of 13 years. Um, wow. I was initially only doing consultancy um, but then I got involved uh, in a company or a kind of organization called Solid Quality which is still around a solid queue um, and they did training and they said hey come and do some training for us and I'd never done any training at all um, but I started doing a bit of training and I thought oh, I, I can do this um, and then I realized there was a lot more money in training than there was in consultancy um so started to kind of branch out and doing um training as well um and to be honest as the years went on just ended up doing more and more training and, and less and less of the, the actual consultancy um and it got to the point actually uh, where i was i was charging probably twice as much for doing training as i was doing consultancy because i wanted to carry on doing a bit of consultancy to get that that hands-on experience um, you yeah, know, I, I, I do think that if you're if you're doing training, you need to have that real world experience. Um, and, yeah. you know, I wanted to uh, you know, have a create a, a kind of pricing structure that, that meant I actually was able to do stuff in the real world that could then um, mean I could talk intelligently about the training. Um, but the, that, that kind of went on and on. Um, and then, you know, I I suppose I kind of optimized myself and my income for doing that um it was very travel heavy i mean incredibly travel heavy i was probably doing at least at least 10 nights a month away from home in various places yeah. in various countries um and and then there's that you know, sort of uh, the, you know the pros and cons of being employed versus you know what advice yeah. would you have to somebody who is uh, going to try and you know just go out on their own um, well i mean it it's it's hard um and i wish i knew the formula because if um i think i was definitely one of those people that didn't have a formula i just did stuff and it seemed to work and it seemed to carry on working um some yeah. people you know i mean some people i suppose the people who tend to blog about this 
like to think or, or like to give the impression they've got the formula or they know the secret to making it work um and they'll you know they'll sell it to you if you watch enough of your video of their videos um, um i'm not sure i'm not sure what i did um i think i just was in the right place at the right time didn't have any competition um was able to travel as much as i did because it was it was all very much based on being able to travel um and yeah young enough to be able to do it um something i think i realized as time went on you know the older you get the the more tired you get and i think it's probably only actually after i stopped doing it i realized how time consuming and how tiring it actually was doing all that travel yeah, yeah. um but uh yeah I, I kind of it kind of got on and i was doing lots and lots of training and it was getting it's getting a bit tedious as well not only the travel but if you're doing exactly the same training course every week um, I would say that I, I had, by that stage, easily four or five days worth of training material completely memorized. So I wouldn't need to have any prompts or anything. You know, you could set me no, up in front feeling. of a room at day one and I could just do my patter, do the same jokes, the same ad libs um, yeah. and keep people going for five full days. And, you know, it, it, it works. People liked it, but it was a bit, uh, you know, a bit boring at the end. Yeah. It gets tiring as well. I find the training, you know, I, I love the mix of doing consulting and training. It's just great. I always thought I wanted to be a trainer after I went on my very first Excel course years ago. <laughs> but actually doing it full time all the time, you know, it's like being a teacher. It is tiring. Mm -hmm. We've got grown up yeah. kids, you know, attending and paying attention, not mm -hmm. running around being crazy. So, yeah, yeah the, the, the experience and that of doing it over and over again, like you say, it mm -hmm. um, you want to keep it fresh. Um, you get better at it. And you can keep updating it with the technology mm. but um yeah over time I, I i know what you're saying it's uh yeah. yeah it's difficult so now you're working at microsoft mm -hmm. okay so when that job offer came in mm -hmm. was it an instant yes from you or was it a fair bit of long hard thinking about what it um, meant and it wasn't an instant yes but actually it was a surprisingly easy decision. Um, I mean, I suppose at that stage, I kind of already was feeling a bit bored and feeling a bit tired and uh, of all the travel. Um, it was also uh, not wanting to get political, but it, it was after Brexit had took place. Um, and a lot of my work was on site in Europe. Um, and, you know, it was pretty clear that I was not going to be able to travel and work on site in the way that I had been before. Um, right. And, you know, I could have worked around that, you know, work, done remote stuff and things. But actually, you know, I, I just thought, well, that, that, that's going to put me in competition with a whole bunch of different people. Um, and, you know, it, it just felt like time for a change. I mean, it's lucky also because the pandemic would have completely, um, you know, completely killed yeah, yeah. that that on per, in-person business anyway so i'd have had to adapt anyway but um it was yeah it was a surprisingly easy decision given that this was something i felt like i kind of built up for years and years and you know when you've got a company okay it seems a bit it seems a bit um kind of self-important to talk about a brand when actually all i've got was a, a fairly ropey old website um but uh you know, you get a certain momentum, you know, you get regular customers, you, you know how to keep on bringing in the business. And the, the kind of idea of stopping off the treadmill seemed a little bit intimidating because after all, you know, what happens if it, it didn't work? What happens if I didn't like working at Microsoft? You know, it would be yeah. very hard to actually um, to pick all that up again. Um, but 
you know, I just thought, well, actually, I think the time's come for a change. You know, it's time to do something a little bit different. Uh, and actually, it's not all that different from what I used to do, um, apart from the fact I don't do any training anymore. Um, right. But um, it's, uh, you know, I still do the conferences. Um, I still solve problems for people. Um, you know, as an MVP, as I'm sure you know, the, the best bit about an M- being an MVP is when you go to those kind of online or in-person conferences with people at Microsoft and you're in a room with a bunch of program managers and everybody's shouting and saying, this is stupid, oh, I don't like this, or this is amazing or whatever. Um, and by every every day is like that now. All of the internal meetings on the Power BI <laughs> team all end up like that, um, which, which is great fun. Because <laughs> you were an MVP for, you know, quite a few years, weren't you? Yeah, 13 years, in fact. I, I was an MVP almost immediately after I started up my company. Uh, so for those folks listening or watching that don't know what MVPs are, um, can you can you sum it up it's in, a, in a nutshell? It, it, MVP stands for Most Valuable Professional. Yeah, it's a Microsoft award uh, given once a year for people who contribute to the community. So it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you contribute to the community. Uh, in your particular technology area. Um, and I mean, by the time I got it, uh, I'd been blogging for several years uh, and been talking, speaking at conferences and things for several years. Um, and that, that's one of the ways that you can get the award, but there, there's no set formula. Um, there's deliberately no set formula because if there was a set formula, everybody would do what's in the set yeah, formula yeah. to get the award. Um, but it, it's yeah. just all about you know, being there in the community, um, helping people in whatever way uh, works for you. Yeah, I think there's a question that comes up, you know, how do you become an MVP? Yeah, and I think it's almost the other way around. It's just like, do you want to blog and talk about what you love doing and share your mm. knowledge? And then if you do enough of it, and people and it's good and people like it, then you know, you, you may become an MVP. I think that's exactly. essentially that way around. You can't really exactly. just force it. You, you get very tired isn't it? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> of doing it. Um, I mean, I, I, I always think about, um, yeah, when people ask me that question, the, the way I explain it is that it's, it's, like, it's like going on a diet. You know, um, a lot of people go on a diet because they feel like it's the, the thing they have to do. You know, I go on a diet sometimes when I feel like I, I'm getting a bit too fat. <laughs> But it's forced and generally I get bored and give up and, um, you know, it kind of all peters out. Um, Whereas some people, however, they are when they begin, um, they suddenly get into new habits. uh, And it's it's when you're doing these things without trying, when it just comes naturally to you, that's when you you get the the kind of MVP award. Um, And, you know, if you're going to go on a diet and lose weight, you've just got to get into new habits and do things uh, and do things that, that, that come naturally and then the good things will happen afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think some people exercise and they, they actually get a big endorphin kick from doing it. Mm, yeah. Not me. <laughs> and other people, it just, no, no, not me. And other people just do it and they hate it mm. and it's just a pain and a chore. So I think it's mm. you know, along those, that analogy sort of thing. Um, exactly. So these days, are you, are you actually, are you Europe based or do you consult with yep. people in the US as well? Um, what sort of what sort of thing are you doing now then? So I work on something work? called the, the Power BI customer advisory team. Um, so I know this is a Power Query uh, and mostly Excel yeah. podcast. I, I'm good friends with the data integration team who own Power Query. Um, and so I, I, I know some people on the Excel team a little bit, but I'm not kind of directly involved with them. Um, but basically, I, I work on the, 
Power BI team. And the, the customer advisory team is a, a team of people who we, we basically do two things. First of all, we um, help with escalations. Uh, you know, when a big customer has a problem and they say, we need somebody from the product group, we're the people who go in and, and kind of help. Uh, we also advise big customers. You know, we, we work with really large adopters of Power BI to kind of give them ongoing advice on best practices and so on. Um, we do community-based work, uh, speak at conferences, blog, all of those things. Um, and also the, the other thing that we do, which is maybe less obvious, but equally important is while we're, because we spend all of our time talking to customers, to people in the community, um, we find out what it is that works and what doesn't work. We kind of pick up requirements and feedback and something. And then we are, our, our, our role is to act as the voice of the customer inside the product group. So, you know, when somebody, a program manager, um, is thinking, well, how shall I, what features shall I build or how should this feature work? Uh, our job is to be there and say, well, you know, customer X who I work with won't like this because of X, Y, Z, or, you know, I don't have an opinion on this, but I know somebody at customer Y who does, let me make an introduction and then you can have a conversation and, and provide that feedback. Um, so we're there to, um, you know, to provide that kind of real world connection. Um, because it's easy yeah. to forget that the people who build Power BI, the people who build Power Query, um, even Excel, are people who've not necessarily ever used it in the real world for, for real things. They know their area of functionality really well. They don't they they might not have ever used it as a as a kind of end to end solution to, to solve a real problem. The kind of things that, you know, you or everybody out there just does every day and, and takes for granted. And so it's quite easy to um, maybe not lose touch, but but to make decisions that don't always um, chime in with with what customers want. Now, of course, you can't always do exactly what customers want, because then you end up, um, you know, it, it, it's like designing a car for a horse user. Uh, you've got to be a little bit imaginative, um, but you do still have to understand what customers need and what works and what doesn't work. And the pace of change now, you know, given given you've been on that sort of the MVP community and you've been seeing products develop um, and ideas were already pretty much baked in by the time you sort of saw them mm -hmm. you know, on three year cycles or whatever the product release cycles were. And now it's like somebody has an idea on a forum and then potentially a couple of months later, it's, it's there. It's just insane now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's what makes it exciting and it's a big selling point for customers yeah. as well it's something we hear over and over again that um you know they they feel like even if there isn't a feature available now they're confident that it'll come fairly soon so that that keeps them engaged with power bi as a platform yeah um okay so going back to your mention of your blog post mm -hmm. i i dug out what i think is your first post december the 30th 2004 <laughs> Yes. Well, that, does that sound about right? That okay, does sound about right. Little, I'm going to quote a little bit of it. Okay, here we go. Uh, I've made a New Year's resolution to start my own blog. After all, the world and his dog seem to have one of these these days. Okay, that's 2004. <laughs> yeah. So consider yeah. that now. All right, the main subject for discussion will be BI and then in brackets, business intelligence, just in case folks don't know what BI stands for. 2004. <laughs> and the technologies that Microsoft have in this area. 
So, you know, how, how important do you think that first blog post was in putting you on your path to what you're doing now? Um, absolutely. I mean, it was completely key. I mean, I, I probably owe everything to my blog. Um, I mean, blogging back then was a very new thing. I mean, it seems a bit kind of old hat now, um, but it was it was the hot new thing then. Um, I know, you know, there, there was a guy at Microsoft, the guy who at that point was the kind of lead engineer on uh, on MDX um, and analysis services, a guy called Moshe Pasivansky, who, who now, in fact, works on BI at Google. Um, but he just started his blog and I thought, oh, I, I need to get my own. Uh, and Microsoft had come out with a free blogging platform called Live Spaces. And I thought, I'll use that. Um, and okay. I, something, I do all, something I'd been doing a lot before that, um, something I don't do anymore at all or, or haven't done for years, but I was very active on um, news groups and forums ask, answering questions. And, you know, the, the more active you are on those, the more you realize you're answering the same question over and over. And I thought, well, it would be really nice to have a blog where if somebody asks me a question, I can just write a generic answer. And then next time somebody asks me a question on Newsgroup, I can just point them to my blog and um, then you know, save myself an awful lot of copying and pasting work. So that's kind of where I that's kind of where I started. And um, yeah, it just it just turned into a habit because it's it it's it got more and more popular. Um, and in fact, I just thought, I, I, I suppose what I did, and this is a, a kind of useful thing, is that it it just seemed to be a really good place to write down what I learned, because I very quickly realized that if I find something out, um, if I don't write it down, I just forget it. I forget I even knew it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, blogging helps kind of cement things in your mind. It helps cement your understanding. Um, and then you know, when you've forgotten all about it, you can just go back to it and, and relearn. And, you know, if, it, if it's written well enough, then it's, um, you know, it's a it's a really helpful kind of personal notebook for me. I mean, I think I'm probably the, the main reader of my own blog. I mean, I, I look at my <laughs> old articles lots of times every day. Yeah, I came across one once in a training course and uh, something just went wrong with a, you know, it was a Power, Power BI chart um, it was a percentage of the grand total sort of thing, and it just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. So by month, you know, percentage of, and I was just, don't know, don't know, couldn't explain it to the class. So we had a break. So I was Googling in the, uh, or binging in the, uh, in the middle of the, uh, of the break. And um, up pops a tweet that I posted six months earlier explaining this bug mm-hmm. and the, the fact that there's a sort by column impacting this yeah. thing. It's a brilliant, it's a great resource for your own queries. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's hilarious half the time. <laughs> Um, there are so things that I wrote you, three months ago that I've forgotten already. So yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so are you? You're still blogging? I saw you posting mm-hmm. some things the other day. And uh, anything particularly that's got you excited at the moment? That's sort of coming out or new new features that you're uh, keen to explore? Uh, there is some. There is a new Power Query feature. Well, Power Query in Power BI feature. Um, the documentation appeared yesterday. Um, it's something oh. I've wanted for a year, but I'm not going to tell you about it because I spent okay. a couple of hours testing it yesterday and I couldn't make it do what it's meant to do. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not completely sure. Supposedly it, it, it was it came out with the, the May release of Power BI Desktop. Um, right. But um, I, I wonder whether it might actually be coming out in June. 
Um, so I, okay, the, the other good thing about working space. at Microsoft is that I can email all the, the people who work on this and say, well, doesn't this work or what does this do? Um, but yeah, that, that's something that I'm, I'm quite excited about. Um, it's something that I guarantee practically nobody else will be excited about. Um, but <laughs> I tend to get excited about the, the, the kind of very geeky things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, so um, when did you first get your hands on Excel then? When, when would that have been? Well, you see, I'm, I, I, I always think that I'm not really an authentic Excel person. Um, I okay. only came to Excel through um, pivot tables connected to analysis services. Um, and then when oh, Power Pivot right. came along, um, that was kind of when my teaching business was kind of ramping up. So I thought, oh, okay, you know, I, I know Power Pivot. Um, there's got to be a lot of Excel people out there who want to use Power Pivot. So I'll, I'll start training people on Power Pivot, which then means you've got to learn a bit more Excel than I ever knew. Um, so okay. I, I got a bit got got a bit better on that. Um, and uh, uh, and yeah, that, that's kind of the, the limits of, uh, of things. And then, of course, Power Query came along. Um, I mean, I first saw that when it, it got released as a, a kind of Microsoft Garage product uh, when it project when it was called Data Explorer. Uh, and I thought, well, OK, you know, I know Power Pivot. This is going to be something else that, that I'm going to have to know. And then I thought then I, I I'll be honest, I never really clicked that much with DAX and the, the kind of tabular model inside Power Pivot. I, I, I love the older stuff too much. Um, but then when when I first saw the thing that became Power Query, I immediately fell in love. Um, there was just something about it that seemed really beautiful, really easy to use. And I thought, well, you know, from a commercial point of view, if I see this and I immediately fall in love with it, then this is going to be gigantic. This is going to be something that everybody else loves. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when it first became a, a kind of Excel add-in and became part of the original Power BI suite of stuff, I thought, well, OK, this is going to be my thing going forward. You know, I'm here at the very beginning. I'm going to really, really learn it. Um, and I'm going to, you know, this is going to be massive. So I spent a lot of time learning it. You know, I wrote a book on it in 2014, I think it was. Um, yes. Can, I, can first... I stop you? Can I stop you and quote mm -hmm. you from that book? OK, okay here go we on. go. Here's a quote. OK, uh, so anyone who tries to do any real work with Power BI, I mean, in mm -hmm. that day, because this was 2014, yeah. I think that book came out. Yeah. So this was yeah. actually, you were referring to Power Query, Power Pivot, Power View mm -hmm. when yep. you were writing this, rather than the modern day Power BI. But anyway, anyone who tries to do any real work with Power BI soon realizes that Power Query is the real star of the stack. Yes. So uh, I applaud you. I applaud you. Well, I, <laughs> I, will, I, I will stand awesome. by that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know that that because power query is now sort of getting out of that purely excel space it's now into power bi but it's mm -hmm. it's growing into multiple products um mm -hmm. so you know what is it is it the m code type thing is that really what interests you is it you getting oh. into the m code or the the what, what's your sort of favorite parts or where do you like to focus on it I mean, I think the thing that I spend most time on is probably the M code, but that's simply because the rest of it is so easy to use. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's the beautiful thing about it. It's not like it isn't like the tabular model and DAX where there is a massive steep learning curve immediately. 
you know the the, yeah. the beautiful thing about power query is that you can get going with it so quickly and be so productive and you probably don't even never you probably don't even ever need to learn any m because you can do everything that you want with a couple of hours training um and once you once you feel comfortable with how it works you know it just solves so many problems so brilliantly um and when you think about actually how little the fundamentals have changed over the last you know seven eight years it just shows how how they got it right so quickly uh you know it's the basic design that was i think fundamentally good um you know there have been lots of additions to it and lots of new buttons and things but the the basic thing just just works i think yeah yeah you know the i think from a from a from my point of view we were doing lots of stuff with vba inside excel to clean up data sets for clients and things like this mm -hmm. you know and that went just power query just saw i just saw the unpivot function and i was just in i was i'm <laughs> yeah. all in here's my you know it's just insane that sort of would have been a day's worth of trying to make that really robust using vba and it would probably break and then it'd be hard to debug mm -hmm. whereas power query just go oh I'll delete that step and tick another box instead it's just yeah. unbelievable and in, in particular unpivot other columns that was yes, that was my yes, favorite that thing about the, unpivot that is the best yeah. Well, I, when I do train, it's my favorite thing to show in training, especially to people who've been doing Excel stuff in the past, mm. because they know the pain they've gone through with this stuff. And seeing that one little click, and you just go, where has this been all my life? Mm. You know, that's literally the attitude, the response you get. Yeah. That's one of the great things about doing training is these sorts of tools. And do, do you have any sort of uh, advice for anybody starting off with with Power Query? Um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to know because everybody's got different styles of, of learning, but something like Power Query, I think, should be there. There are so many good resources out there and it's so easy to learn. Um, just get hold of some. I mean, the thing I always like to do is I just like getting hold of data that I'm interested in uh, and playing around with it and manipulating it and doing something useful with it. I find that if the data is. I don't think relevant is the right word, but interesting. Um, and there's tons and tons of interesting open data out there that you can play around with that you can download for free. Um, that's, that, that that always makes it a lot more engaging. If there is an end goal that you want to get to, which is you know, answering some interesting question, um, that 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 kind of powers you through the 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 learning process to get you over any roadblocks or any difficulties that you might run into. Cool. And what, how, how are you, is, is M language similar to something you've done before? Or how, how do you, you know, you've got a pretty in-depth, um, you know, way beyond my level of understanding of the in-depthness of M and how, you know, query optimization and things like this. So what puts your brain in that place? Is it just something that's come to you or is it, is it your history of previous roles and stuff like that that's um, all contributed or what do you think? I don't think so in that I was, I was never, I mean, I had some programming experience, but I, I was never uh, a really professional programmer. Um, and certainly yeah. the way M works is completely different to all other programming languages. You know, you look at a bit of an M, a bit of M code and you read it from the top down. Whereas the key thing to understanding it, and I, I would say the one bit of advice for anybody learning M is to understand that it, it executes from the the end back. You know, you've got to look at that in clause 
and then read the code backwards. And that's not only how it, that's not only how it that that's not only how it reads; it's how it evaluates. Um, you know, for example, if you're looking at the um, the new query plans that we've got in Dataflows, um, it's still very very basic um, and not useful for an awful lot yet. Um, but what it shows is actually um, that that kind of end backwards view of your query. It's that that final output and then working its way back through to all of the different places you're getting data from. You know, the data okay. doesn't flow from the data source through to the end. What happens is you start at the end of your Power Query query, the end of your M code, and then it kind of starts from there and it works its way backwards to go back to the data source. Um, and when you understand that, that helps you understand a lot of why Power Query works the way it does uh, and helps you understand a lot about performance tuning it as well. Do you, do you come across sort of a, a, any common scenarios for performance tuning with clients? Is there is there a, anything that sort of happens all the time or is it quite niche? Um, I, I would say it's quite niche. I mean, unlike DAX, the thing about DAX is that if I look at a, look at a piece of DAX, there are some really obvious bad practices that people run into all the time, you know, like filtering on entire tables rather than individual columns and stuff. Um, the thing about Power Query and M is that it's, I, I would say that it's actually very difficult to make those kinds of mistakes. Uh, and that's the beauty again of how it's designed. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it just, it, it, it just, it does, the, you know, you can't write, it's very hard to write inefficient M code to make mistakes because you either do what you want to do or you don't. Um, yeah. And the engine is generally fairly good at, at, at making it work. Now, that's not to say there isn't such a thing as, as slow queries because, yeah, absolutely, that happens all the time. Um, but it's it's quite rare that they're slow because of something, you know, some mistake that somebody has done. It's more likely yeah. to be just a, a kind of limitation with the engine. I guess the, but, um, the only one, that, yeah, I mean, the only one that sort of springs to mind that I'm thinking of is if somebody like query folding, if somebody's done a step that mm. that might not fold yeah. when they can move it a bit later, perhaps. But yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. It's just it does just work. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, and in fact, for people who are kind of just starting off onto um, trying to tune Power Query queries. One of the, the most obvious things that people try to do, which actually can be counterproductive a lot of the time, is to use the famous table.buffer function to buffer things into memory. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, again, when you understand a little bit about how things work and what the, um, you know, and how, it, how Power Query uses memory, um, you'll realize that actually, even though, even though table.buffer can be really useful in a lot of cases, um, it can be completely counterproductive in just as many cases and make performance worse. So it depends is the answer. <laughs> it depends. Yes, absolutely. But there will be, you know, there, there are things coming that will, you know, one of the things that the data integration team, the team that owns the Power Query engine is doing is making a lot of investments in trying to make it easier to, to kind of debug performance. You know, things like the, all of the new stuff is coming into Dataflows first, but it will eventually come to Power Query and other places. Um, and you know, things like step folding indicators, that I think is incredibly useful. Um, yes. Query plans will eventually 
do more useful stuff. It's a stepping stone to doing things. Um, query diagnostics is again something that is it's on a journey. Um, there are there are already some useful things you can do with it, um, but there there's more useful stuff that will happen. Brilliant. Looking forward to it. Um, okay, time for my little round of five impossible questions. Mm -hmm. So ridiculously unfair okay. questions that nobody should know the answer to because these aren't the things that we ever <laughs> see in real life or even concentrate on. Okay, so question number one, I got five questions for you. So mm -hmm. if you you're in Power Query Editor, okay, and mm -hmm. There's a column with a little data type icon, the little ABC123 sort of thing mm -hmm. in, the, in the corner of a column. Yep. You click on that. How many mm -hmm. options show up? And I'll give you between, I'll give you plus and minus one. So how many different options are there if you click on the little data type? All right. Let me think. So there's going to be three numeric options, I think. Um, I would say something like four date time related things if duration is there. Oh, yeah. There'll yeah, be text. There. Excellent. I'll go for 10, so 10 maybe, 10? Oh, 13, 13. 13. Because there's also a sneaky little binary and using local. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Of so there's course. a bit sneaky, yeah. a bit sneaky. All right. Okay. All right. Next question. Under query options, mm -hmm. what's the maximum allowed data cache in megabytes? So you go into query options, maximum allowed data cache. There's is a little it box where you can type gigabytes? it in. gigabytes? Yes, I'll give you that. It is 4,096 megabytes, so you nice. allowed that one. Very good. Okay, yeah. perfect. I need to blog Excellent. about that, actually. I need to learn a bit about that. I've got more of an idea about what that does than perhaps most people because of yeah. my inside connections but it's uh, that that's something that needs to be blogged about i think i've never never tweaked it in my life so i don't know what on earth it is you probably next to the yeah. box right with the little four gigabytes in the 4096 there's a little i and it says <clears throat> the recommended lower limit mm -hmm. any guesses what the recommended lowest limit for your data cache management would be in megabytes um we recommend not going below, it says, and then there's a number. 12 megabytes or something? 32. 32. 32. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> um, okay, next question. Is there a Power Query function called tonic.feed? No, but there's one called soda.feed. There is a soda.feed. That's why I asked the question. No, I've never <laughs> what, used does it. Soda dot, what does soda.feed do? Um, I think Any it's a, a specific, um, it's a web service. There's a specific oh. web service, um, okay. uh, but I've never come across it. I have no idea and I've never no, used I've... it and it's been there forever and ever. Okay, <laughs> bizarre. Okay, last question. You're back in the Power Query Editor. You've got a column of dates and mm -hmm. they're formatted as a date data type. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you right click on that column, mm -hmm. is there a transform option to uppercase that column? It's thinking no. Weirdly, there is. 
Okay. Is an uppercase option. It makes no sense. I don't know why it's there. But there you go. I discovered Fair it the right. other day trying to find out some questions to ask. I'm not so sure. What, what does that even do? It does nothing. Well, I'm not even sure what the encode it generates. I didn't even stop to look. So there we yeah. go. Okay. Uh, crystal ball time. So mm -hmm. let's say engineering time and funding was no object. What would you like to see? happen in the All future right. so I, I have to be very careful about this because i you do i know what's going to happen in the future um and i am not going to say anything that i want to happen that is going to happen but i will okay. tell you something that is probably not going to happen but i've always wanted to have have happen um Excellent. and it does Excellent. come up so what i want in power query is a good robust way to transform uh between time zones so date time values date time zone values between time zones now you can partially do it um there is a two local option which does work and which takes into account daylight savings times but um even though this is one of those things that that people people blog about and provide answers for and actually the answers are, are not really all that good because transforming if you've got a if you've got a date time value for a particular time zone um, and you say, well, I want to change you know, UTC to, um, I don't know, uh, PST, you know, the Pacific Standard Time in the US. You cannot simply just assume that you're going to take subtract eight hours or something because you have to know what daylight savings and things was in yes, effect at different yes. times and all those things. And, you know, in the yeah. real world, something that comes up, I would say, every six months is somebody that says, I w I've got a I've got a time in UTC and I want to find out what time it was for my users in a particular time zone. You know, I want to say for my users in the UK or in Sydney or whatever, you know, what was the local time for them? on this particular date at this particular time. And to do that, you've got to know all the rules about daylight savings and things. And, uh, and yes. actually there is no good way of doing that in Power Query at the moment. Uh, and I really, really wish that there was a function that did that. Do you happen to know if there's a user voice Power BI ideas type thing um, to vote? I'll look for it afterwards. If, I don't know. If I, don't, I think there, I, there, there might be. There might be somewhere. Yeah. Um, if there, if I find the link, I'll put it in the, in the note. Yeah. Hmm. Well, have you got any upcoming um, sessions? You've meant uh, books, adventures. Are you done with books for now? I'm done Are with you, books. Uh, I'm completely yeah. done with books. And um, there was okay. there, there 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 have been a lot of requests for me to do a second edition of the Power Query book. I I still think, and I was briefly involved in a an attempt to, to kind of write an M book that didn't get beyond the planning stages. Um, but if I'm honest, I, I'm done with writing books. I've, I've written books. Yeah. My opinion is that, um, I mean, books are still useful, still valid. And actually sitting down and writing a book end to end is a great way to kind of really solidify your knowledge. But it is so much work. Uh, it is so, so, so much work that I, I just don't think I would ever do it again. Because the yeah. um, the Power Query book that I wrote in 2014 was the last, it was the only book I've written on my own. It's the the last book I wrote completely end to end, uh, or a bre the, the last new project. And that took two months of full-time work. Um, so yeah. I started, I decided to, because when I was working for myself, January was always a quiet time. So I took the whole of January off, pretty much the whole of February off. And then I was working 
several hours a week in evenings and weekends to kind of finish it off get it past the editing stage do all of the other stuff uh, and then it finally got published at the end of July in that year uh, and that was just an immense immense amount of work for what is actually a fairly slim book um, yeah. and any power any second edition would have to be a complete rewrite there, there would be bits I could salvage from it but um, I just don't have that kind of time uh, and of course anybody that's written a book will tell you that you don't make any money from books um, you know <laughs> you uh, you you know you you make the money from well okay maybe you you might make money from excel books um uh, i don't know bill jellen might make a lot of money from uh, the mass market (laughs) excel books but for something like power query um you would even if you wrote the best one in the world um over its lifetime i don't think you would ever get more than about fifty thousand copies sold um and even then yeah, the, the amount of money you make from that is pretty trivial. You make you make money from books by selling consultancy and training on the back of it. Um, that's how you make a ton of money from books. That's Marco and Alberto's business model. Um, and that is a great thing to do. But you then have to invest all of that time to um, to write the book. And then you've got to write the training material and market yourself and uh, all of those other things. Yeah. Uh, and that's not my life anymore. And just about the time you finish, the entire user interface changes and you've got to update all the screenshots and stuff. So. Yeah, well, that, that, I did have that particular problem. I, I did all did the you? screenshots for the Power Query oh, book three times, three right. times, because I made the mistake no. of taking the screenshots as I was writing the chapters. And then the UI just changed every month. And then I realized when I got to the end, oh. I had to change all the screenshots. for, the, And that was the second time I had to go through and do, do them all. Um, and where can people find you now? So what's the best place for people to, is it your blog or? Yeah, probably that... my blog. Um, I uh, around on um, podcasts and online conferences. Um, I've done a lot of online user groups as well recently. Um, and there are a lot of recordings of those things on YouTube. But I would say, yeah, the, the best place to find me is on my blog. I don't always reply to questions on my blog because I get a ton of questions. Um, I do actually have on my contact page uh, have a message saying uh, don't ask me questions post your message on a forum and then post the forum link here if you don't get a reply I'll I'll answer on the forum doesn't stop people asking me questions but at least it makes me feel a bit less bad if I don't reply to them if you've got an interesting question I probably will reply but um, for everything else um, yeah sorry fair point Um, okay so we're in the light we're going to run up to wrapping things up um, I like to ask my guests if they've got any little claim to fame or little known fact about themselves that they're willing to share. Do you have any hidden talents? Know somebody famous bumped into someone? I mean, I suppose when I was back, if we go back to the beginning of the conversation when I was at university, um, I did live on the same landing as Amelia Fox, who is now the the star of kind of Sunday evening TV. Um, I don't know whether you get Silent Witness in Australia, um, okay. but she's a, a moderately well-known actress. I never talked to her. She never talked to people like me. Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. Did. And um, I once had a, a run-in with the daughter of the guy who wrote the Wombling song. Um, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I had the apart album. from that. I had the album. <laughs> no secret hidden rock band fandom. No, no. I mean, there's an awful lot of kind of, um, you know, talented musicians and things again in this kind of area of IT, but I'm not one of them. 
um i yeah. had never had any real musical talent whatsoever so you know i'm i'm completely unremarkable <laughs> you can't be good at everything chris you know exactly. leave something I'm for not. the rest of them. i'm not <laughs> okay so another requirement is that you have to leave two articles for the uh, power query magic um podcast and video mm -hmm. so your most popular um article and your favorite so what mm -hmm. ones are you leaving so my most popular one at the moment um and this is probably a lesson to me in the type of blog posts i should be writing because they get a ton of hits is one about the, the the famous key didn't match uh error in power query that quite steadily gets um probably up to 100 hits a day uh, i guess oh, because okay. a lot of people run into that error and no, have no idea what it means um yeah. so there's there's that article um i think my favorite blog post one that also gets a reasonable amount of hits is um the one about web doc contents and refresh failures um you know working with web services is one of those areas where actually you can't avoid writing a bit of m code in power query because of the nature of web services you can't just click a button and have them work um and you know the the ins and outs of the web.contents function is something that i have presented on and uh, kind of understood and and done lots of things over the years so um yeah that, that's probably one of my my favorites awesome and uh just to finish off in true desert island discs style i'm going to strand you on a on a desert island and you get one object to take with you and that mm -hmm. object must begin with a letter m in honor of power query okay. so uh, this, this what was, would you yeah. take with you this was a struggle um and i was thinking about it this morning and then i thought i know what i haven't had this year um every christmas my mother and i shouldn't been able to do it this year because of the pandemic I get this expensive box of German marzipan covered in chocolate. Oh. Um, and it, it, it's expensive, but um, it is really delicious. I mean, really bad, but really, really delicious. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, okay, I can't take it onto a desert island because it would melt. But, um, you know. <laughs> we'll give you a fridge. Still, it, it, it is, you know, if, if you're going to have one luxury item, it's got to be, it, it's got to be something, uh, something really luxurious and you know, really expensive German, good quality marzipan covered in dark chocolate. Lovely. Beautiful. So I'll leave links to the, to Chris's blog and things and the things with the articles we mentioned, um, in the show notes, etc. And that wraps it up. So Chris, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for your contributions to making power query so magic. My pleasure. Thank you.